Chess Seven, seven Four Twelve. Awesome. awesome. I'm Roy Wood Jr. Motherfucker. <laughs> you know, I don't think we've ever begun a podcast with motherfucker, but I think we should. That's how we should begin all these episodes, I motherfucker. Agree. <laughs> Listen here, motherfucker. This is Roy. I'm gonna do a drop. Hey, motherfucker. This is Roy Wood Jr. for the goddamn comedy on vinyl, bitch. <laughs> That's just rude. It is rude, but I like it. My mom's going to enjoy that when I send that to her. <laughs> she, she's only got dial-up, so I've got to send her all my episodes on CD. So, <laughs> Which I still do on occasion. She likes hearing it. The filthier, the better, frankly, because my mom's a weird lady. Oh, yeah. She's how it goes. All right, so you already said your name. You already said the name of the podcast. I don't have to bother with that. Mm-hmm. But uh, you want to talk about Doug Stanhope. Nobody's picked Doug Stanhope yet. Maybe because they get intimidated when they see the word vinyl, so they don't think of like newer comedians. But well, so who does who do most people pick? Just the classic contemporary guys. I have nothing Steve against Martin, those guys. You, know, um, you know who I just fucking stumbled into? Who? Uh, Bob Newhart. Oh yeah. And I oh, feel dumb to be a comedian of sixteen, seventeen. Uh, I started in ninety eight, so uh-huh. whenever the fuck you listen to this. Um, I felt dumb not knowing that his catalog was deeper than that. Like, I knew no, he was a stand-up. Did. I was yeah. like, hey, stand-up. Sure. And another comic uh, friend of mine, Maranzio Vance, he goes, yo, man. And when a black dude says some shit about a white dude, <laughs> like, complimentary gangster style, uh-huh. you know it's, like, definitely sincere. Yo, man. But he's, like, dapping himself and giving himself power. Yo, man, fucking Bob Newhart. Shit is dope. <laughs> he wasn't lying, man. I almost yeah. picked Newhart, but I just I'm not as familiar with his catalog sure. as I am Stanhope. Plus, a lot of what Stanhope does is similar in the way I think. Okay. So I think I relate to him that a little sense. bit more, which was part of why I picked his album because that was one of those albums, um, something to take the edge off, which came out I think in 2000. Yeah. Um. It was one of those albums that changed how I thought See, as good. a comedian. Yeah, it changed my approach to the craft. And of course, you study Chris Rock. Of course, you study like the three I studied out the gate when I started. Um, Chris Rock because Bring the Pain had just dropped, and you know Rock was on the rise, and he was flashy. And you know I was too young. I was nineteen, so I was too young to appreciate the intelligence mm-hmm. of his humor at the time. But I got it. Uh, it was Chris Rock, George Carlin, Sinbad, and Martin Lawrence. That's awesome. Those were the four horsemen. That's so good. Like, that was my comedy Mount Rushmore at the time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for the, the better part of the front end of my career, my fucking act was just a college kid doing an impersonation of Martin Lawrence. Like, of course. If Martin Lawrence did jokes about book buyback <laughs> and your roommate eating your food, <laughs> that was pretty much what you saw. Like, it's painful awesome. to watch uh, now when I watch old tapes of myself. But mm-hmm. um, this, uh, this other comic that I worked with, this guy, Henry Coleman, Henry Coleman used to, um, he used to listen to a lot of Doug Stanhope. And he sent me a couple of MP3s, and it was like just fucking heroin. And yeah, yeah. I went to fucking Napster. That's how long ago this was. No, yeah, fucking totally. Fucking Napster mm-hmm. and Bear Share. The people who used oh, to steal yes, music God. will know what Bear Share is. <laughs> and I went there, and I started streaming all of that shit, and mm-hmm. downloaded it, and just devoured it. And 
it was funny and crude yet opinionated and it had a perspective it mm -hmm. had a point of view to it but somewhere underneath that point of view you still felt like he didn't give a fuck he wasn't preaching at you yeah you know so i appreciated that so that's why i picked the album you know of course you have all the guys that they're the gods mm -hmm. but when i looked at albums that i always go back to and i can still listen to in the end um i gotta add stan hopes something to take the edge off I, yeah. I just have to i mean it's right up there with george carlin you're all diseased it's right up there with uh chris rock bring the pain mm -hmm. um ron white drunk in public mm -hmm. is another one that i that i've always always fucking liked mm -hmm. Just his storytelling style it's amazing. is very much, mm, I don't want to say underrated, because he definitely has his fans. Uh-huh, and he's doing fine. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, you know, but yeah, it, it came down to Carl and Your All Disease, mm -hmm. Stan Hope's album, and Greg Giraldo, Midlife Vices. Yeah, okay. The late great. Did you, do you remember, was there a specific, like, bit you did, or was there a set you did where all of a sudden you're like, no, 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 this is the new shit I'm doing? Like, I, or was it a slow evolution? It was a slow evolution. I knew where I wanted to be, but I didn't have the ideas. Okay. And I didn't have all the premises there yet mm -hmm. to get it. And then there was a slow opinionated evolution, you know, because up until that point, most of my material, and I didn't discover the Stanhope album when it came out in 2000. I stumbled sure. on this shit years later so i was probably four or five years okay. into being a stand-up and at that point you're kind of transitioning out of mc work and you're working mm -hmm. more as a feature you know i started in tallahassee i'm from birmingham but i started in tallahassee okay. while i was still in college at florida a&m mm -hmm. so i split time and you know down south in those days open mic was once a month per city jesus there was none of this I went to a mic tonight, and there's a mic tomorrow. Right. None of this New York, L.A. shit. Oh my God. You get one fucking at-bat per month, per city. If you want to go up twice this week, you better goddamn drive to Orlando yeah. and go yeah. to that mic. You want to get up three times, you better drive to fucking St. Pete or oh. some shit. Like, you have to fucking mix it up. So, there was a great degree of starting to change my act and how I thought and how you know, I don't really know how to put it but you know you you start recognizing that you're different mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you start feeling like alright that joke is cool but where's the teeth in it sure. and one of the first jokes I wrote that had a little bit of teeth to it and was hard to I guess digest at the time Natalie Holloway uh -huh. was the fucking big media story. That was yeah, that dude. was the the it girl for missing white women mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah. And she'd gone missing and it was like a eight, nine month story about mm -hmm. where's this gorgeous white girl? Yeah, right. and, you know, and horrible. She's from a suburb of Birmingham and I'm not bad mouthing her, sure. but what I was trying to bring attention to and the joke that I was doing was how they never look for black women. Mm -hmm. And there's hundreds, like statistical, like hundreds sure. of black women that go missing, and which is why I said, it, and the whole punchline was something about when I go missing, I want my mom to send the police a picture of a white woman so that they're guaranteed to look for me for a little while. 
shit. Yeah. And somewhere underneath that was the whole me trying to bring it to. And yeah. I fumbled the football on the delivery, but like, and I was doing this shit in front of black people, man. Black folks mm-hmm. don't want to hear that shit. Right. You got to figure out a way to craft it. You know, Chris Rock crafts it. Paul Mooney crafts it. Chappelle is very good at, yeah. at hiding the vitamin yes. in the dog yes, food, yes, as I like yeah. to call it. You know. But Mooney, you pretty much know what you're getting before you walk in the door. You know you're getting straight vitamins. Ain't no dog food. You know, Chris Rock said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said something along the lines of, no matter what he's doing or what he's talking about, the average truck driver should still be able to understand and follow the joke. Yeah. Which is why most Americans can still get on board with what he's saying. Because he's not going to... It's not like, say, Dennis Miller or Bill Maher, where mm-hmm. when I watch them, I laugh, but you also feel like you should have read a USA Today yes, before yes. you walked into this show, yeah. or else you might be lost when you make a fucking Benjamin Netanyahu reference. <laughs> Who the fuck is Net? Too late, now you missed two more jokes because yes. you were Googling Netanyahu on your phone. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of... the, the To answer the question, the shift was gradual. Yeah. And... I started feeling, you know, and talking about things that were more emotional, more real to me. And I still have stuff now on the premises that I feel like would work once I'm more established, mm-hmm. which is fucked up to say. But I feel like some kind of that's what yeah. they deal with. You know, yeah. it's just you have something strong to say, but you really can't say it yet because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. no one's going to fucking listen to you. Right. Because you haven't established yourself. But once you're established, then people are free to hear everything. Please hold. I'm smoking three packs a day in Houston. I live in L.A. Two years ago, they made it uh, illegal to smoke in bars in Los Angeles where I live. Yeah, that sucks. But what sucks worse is in the last six months, they've gone that extra step in enforcing it. (laughs) They have big vice raids, vice cops going in undercover to bars now, hiding in the darkness. Waiting for everyone to light up and then they spring out of the darkness and bust you. Dress up like a smoker tonight, Bob. We're going in undercover. We might need backup on this one. Are there any vice cops in here? (laughs) You dicks. How do you do that for a living? I don't understand. I first read these stories and I think, don't you have real crime to fight somewhere? But then you think about it, vice cops don't fight real crime. That's not their job. Real cops fight real crime. Vice cops' only job is to fuck up the party. That's all they do. I just wonder how you, like, as you grow, uh, how you, is it, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is it a matter of, like, keeping your voice or does your voice have to evolve in a certain way like i guess what i'm saying is like you can get you can say what you want to say but you still have to keep that comic voice but also at the same time your comic voice still has to evolve so it's you going have to, to change. evolve but you also have to be true i give you a perfect example you know i've been fortunate enough to be able to do late night tv mm-hmm. um i don't know how you define quite a bit but you know i've been on conan mm-hmm. the past three four years and prior to that, you know, I did Letterman and Ferguson. Yeah. And at each of those levels, you got to haggle with somebody about your thoughts and opinions. Right. You know, it, it's, and it's, it's stressful, but I understand it because, you know, they're not out. 
to offend anyone. Yep. Yeah. But I find it ironic because the best comedy, the best comedians, the ones who do it at the next level, mm-hmm. their job is to provoke thought. Definitely. Definitely. I'm not here to deliver generic fucking TV dinner comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So how do I take this joke where I make the statement that it's that you shouldn't be surprised if someone calls you a nigger while playing football in the NFL mm-hmm. and package that up for television. Yeah. Yeah. Not just cleaning up the language, right. but the point of view, the strong point of view, that's what they don't want. Yeah. That's what most late night shows don't want. Because when you look at the format of most late night shows, mm-hmm. it's an escape. It's, Definitely. hey, here's this fun guest. Here's this fun game. Here's some music. And you know what? Here's a funny comedian. That's yeah. all, folks. Seth Myers is up next. Yes. That's the purpose of late night television. Yeah. So if your comedy isn't congruent to that construct, then you're going to get spit back out. That's why a lot of guys, you know, you look at a guy like Stanhope, he ain't doing no four-minute no. set somewhere. No. No. He's got to do an hour. <laughs> That's the only way you're going to see him. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I take jokes, and I, I try my best to make very acute observations about broad subjects, okay. broad topics, and, you know, so I try my best to look at things through a different prism yeah. and make you appreciate that POV. And if I can do that, then more often than not, those are the jokes of mine that get on late night. So it's something original and different. It's a fair representation of where my comedy is at mm-hmm. that time. And if someone came out to see me live, they would get something consistent with that four-minute sample that they saw on Conan. That's I'm not rough. just, But I'm not going to just do a four-minute set just for the sake of doing it. Yeah. Just to get on television. And then you come see me live and it's some other shit. Right. Right. Like that's to me, that's that's fucked up on two levels because if anyone sees you and likes you and wants to see more of you, you've lost a fan. Like exactly. you're misrepresenting yourself. You go, yeah. fucking go on T V and sing country music, they come see you live and you're rapping. Right. Right. Like that that's the best analogy it's I can perfect. give. Yeah. You know, it, it's 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 counterproductive. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the... Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are probably a million bonuses to being the star guest on the show. But, I mean, you get a pre-interview. You get to set up your stories. They help you write the stories. You're good mm-hmm. to go. Whereas you've already got all this material that you've not just written, but you've lived. <laughs> yeah. I don't get I it. Tell you, I'll tell you who I enjoy watching now. Um, I enjoy watching Bill Burr. Yeah. You know, in the past five years, in terms of comedians that I've paid money to go see, Burr's been one of them. Um, I paid to see Cosby. I paid to see. Um, I paid to. I paid to see C.K. Mm-hmm. Uh, Louis C.K. And you know, Burr is Burr is another one that he's a, he's a he's a fucking patient zero example of how he can take what he's thinking. And perfectly encapsulated into that four minute tonight show set. Yeah. And when you've seen Burr live, it is fucking coffee double caffeine. But I bet. his comedy on television is the perfect, just mild enough decaf you know, mm-hmm. it's still Bill Burr. Yeah. It's not full throttle. It's not fifth gear, but it's third gear. Yeah. And that stuff it, it, it's just 
that level of just darkness to his humor still comes through. It's yeah. not as dark as his live show, but it's enough to make it a fair representation. So it can be done. Yeah. You just got to be crafty with your words and thoughtful about which jokes you choose to do. That's what it boils down to, to me. It feels like stand-up's got to be still... Su- I mean, I'm not surprised, but I mean, it feels like stand-up's still super important to you, if, if only because, I mean... You do have to do these, I won't say tame, but you do have to do these adapted sets for late night TV. And you also, I mean, you work in one of the safest things possible. You work on a sitcom on cable TV. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's you know, it's, it's and it's got a, it's got a, a family audience. It's got that kind of, you know, so it's yeah. like, it's got to still be important for well, you to have that voice, right? Yeah, the thing about it with Sullivan and Son on TBS is that, you know, we're probably the edgiest of a lot of the sitcoms that are out. Sure. Other, uh, the other advantage we have on most sitcoms is that we're on cable yeah. and not broadcast. So if you're on a regular network sitcom, oh, it's fucking hands off. You're not going to do anything edgy. I mean, we're lobbing race jokes and PC. The, um, PC goes out the window sure. with the opening credits yeah, on yeah, that yeah. show. So in that regard, it's been cool to be on something that's a little bit edgier and pushes the envelope. But even still... You're right. There is still a degree of restraint that you have to have mm-hmm. in order to fit the construct of of the advertisers and yeah. the network execs. And you know, I just I just did at midnight. Uh-huh. Um, oh, I want to see that. I can see that. Yeah. I just I just did at midnight, and they fucking edited out a joke I did. Oh no. Uh, it was funny. This little kid is dancing. Uh-huh. Right. It's it's a viral vine, mm-hmm. if you will. Some little. I think he's a Latino kid. I don't want to guess the nationality and piss off somebody. But he's dancing, and Chris Harbick turns to us and he goes, Comedians, name his dance. Uh-huh. So I called it the Sandusky Shuffle. Oh, shit. <laughs> Which made me laugh. And maybe I'm sick. And whatever. But it got edited out of the really? show. Oh, oh, they chopped that shit real fast. Because they're not out to pick, piss off anybody. I guess not, but damn. Well, because someone's going to go, you're making fun of child molestation. So we got to make sure that asshole doesn't email Pepsi and threaten to stop drinking Pepsi. Right. And then Pepsi decides to pull their ads from at midnight. And then the fucking show gets canceled because they have no sponsors. But just once, I wish one sponsor would just put their foot down and say, suck a dick. (laughs) It was funny. Go Mm -hmm. drink a Coke. I know. It'll never happen. Sure. It'll never happen. I worked in radio for 13 years. So... In my time doing mornings in radio, so much shit you couldn't say for fear of pissing off some check cashing shithole that does payday loans to fucking poverty stricken people at a fucking 20% fucking return on the loan. Fuck you. It's a shithole. And then as soon as you say that and go to break. Some sales rep comes in. Those motherfuckers just spent $15,000. Three months by. $15,000. You can't be talking shit about a chicken. But I'm telling the fucking truth, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard. Fuck is the dip. So. I guess. that. I, so the I, restraint, I, I'm used to it. it yeah. That, but that's why the internet's the new frontier, man. Well, that's true. But I just don't. I, I was going to say. I just don't think of. Because I've admitted several times to my own embarrassment on the show. That like. Until a couple years ago. I almost forgot about stand-up. I just didn't go see stand-up. And I'm picking up finally going to see shows and stuff. I do forget how much 
and again, you know, guys like Lenny Bruce and all those fellas paved the way, but like how much freedom you have and how important it is for you to just be able to, if you wanted to, just spout all the shit you wanted. Obviously, it's way more artistic and more fulfilling to, to tweak that and make it a nice set, but I do yeah. forget that that and the internet are the two places you can say what you want. Yeah, and it's it's the one art form that I think will still be standing. Mm-hmm. You can't automate it. Right. You can't digitize it. And you, you can't make it virtual. Mm-hmm. You can try, but there's still nothing like the live show. I mean, that's been going on since the beginning of mankind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that and chick selling pussy for money. <laughs> After selling pussy for money. <laughs> it's jesters and fucking entertained fucking old school medieval shit people wanted to show knights jousting yep. so the desire for man to be entertained will always be there mm-hmm. so it's just a matter of figuring out how to market yourself that's what the internet has yeah. done the yeah. internet has muddied the marketing waters and I kind of feel like you know I'm one of those hybrid kids you know when you look at the offspring that comedy has yielded you know, I'm Generation X, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of on that cusp of where the old model, I missed the window on the old yeah. success model for comedy yep. and stumbled into this new world that no one educated me on right. that is also evolving every five years Yes, that I have to constantly keep relearning and keep up with. And just to stay relevant enough to sell a ticket while I continue to figure this shit out. Do you watch Real Stories of the Highway Patrol? Do you know this? Do you know the show Real Stories? I get violent watching that show. I'm chucking shit at my TV. You dicks! It's blatant police harassment that is passed off as entertainment. Middle America sitting around with their thumb in their ass. Good thing it's him and not me. <laughs> Could have been me last night. It's almost like police propaganda reels, as though the police department made this themselves, because it's got that constant voiceover narrative. John Law is never wrong. Officer Bob will teach you not to question authority. I'm serious. They, They bust people for nothing. They will always traffic stops. They pull people over for... Nothing, because they fit a profile, which means you're not white enough today, or you look like the guy who's fucking his daughter, so he just trumps up reasons. Uh, we're going to pull this gentleman over to the side of the road. Uh, see, he's only got three screws holding down his license plate, and technically it's supposed to be four screws, so we're just going to zip him off the side of the road here rip off his doors and his hood and we're gonna pull his luggage out and strew it across the fucking highway and we're gonna sick dogs on him and we're gonna put microscopes up his ass it's all just routine see they find a marijuana seed lodged under the catalytic converter somewhere and wrestle his poor son of a bitch to the ground I was coming up when I started in 98 oh it was easy get on Letterman wait for them to send you your fucking show. Your yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. sitcom comes in the mail, mm-hmm. you open the box, just add water, nurture it, and you will have success. I did Letterman in 2006. Mm-hmm. At best, all it got me was airfare to cities I was already working. Yeah. And that's not a knock on Letterman. No, no, no. It's a great program, but it was also when those, when late night talk had the juice that they really had, 
there was about 400 less channels on cable, so more motherfuckers saw you. So of course you were yeah. more likely to be a household name because you weren't competing against pawn wars right. and fucking cook-off chef, iron chef motherfucker who can cook these best desserts and some shit on the fucking Wii network. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many channels now and then you get into internet streaming, Netflix, Hulu. People are fucking distracted and you throw in YouTube and viral videos into the mix. It's more ways to not be seen yeah. than to be seen. Yeah. So you're more likely to be missed. You're more likely to fall through the cracks. So once I started observing that that was what was happening, I was like, huh, you got to think of a better way to reach the people and broadcast that, hey, I'm over here, I'm doing stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So that's where learning the internet and using my prank phone calls oh, yeah, as a right. marketing tool, mm-hmm. you know, I amassed plenty of my time in radio, so I turn around and flip those and use them to spread the word that I'm a comedian, yeah. you know, so that type of residual and secondary marketing that helped you still do your television because if you have opportunities to do tv you seize it because that's the stuff to get your meetings and shit like that because that's all the execs are focusing on that's all they're thinking about Mm -hmm. so you have to take that into account you know and that's that's pretty much you know what i've been dealing with yeah God, I I don't think of it from that perspective. For me, it's easy to take that kind of stuff for granted because it's not it's not my source of income. It's not, or it doesn't reflect necessarily my source of income. You know, I've got mm-hmm. I've, I've got a day job. I do this podcast, and it's and it's good for me. Whereas, you know, just do you think? I mean, obviously, a guy like Doug Stanhope has been around long enough that, and again, he started at uh, a, a, a different time than you did. But um, do. First of all, have you met him? Do you know him? Have you met the man? I do not know. Do not know him. So I've seen him. In, I've seen him live twice. Okay. I've seen him in the back of the improv, but sure. I didn't speak. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. speak for what to be forgotten? Right in an hour. Yeah. Hey, Doug, I'm fan. All right, thanks. <laughs> you know, just, if I work with him, that'd be cool. But of course. Yeah, I know uh, I Vegas odds are probably nil on that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, to answer the question, no, I don't know. Because he's just stand up, stand up. He's not. I mean, he's he doesn't feel like a guy who's. Who has to spread himself around? And did he just hit it at the right time? Obviously, you know he's successful because people love him. But do you think he just hit it hit it at the right time where he doesn't have to do the footwork think, that you guys have to do? I think Stanhope definitely has to do the footwork. He has to do even more because the L.A. machine he rejects it. Okay. Half the time he doesn't even play comedy clubs. Yeah. I mean he's playing one-off rock venues and. That's crazy handling the ticket sales himself and doesn't fuck with Ticketmaster and you know like that shit is hard to fucking do and I'm sure he has a team around him but Mm -hmm. I think what Stan Hope does that makes him that connects so well with his fans is that his stuff is so specific and appeals to a specific I don't want to say a specific type of person Mm -hmm. but if you made concentric circles of the overlap of who is who can relate to your comedy mm-hmm. and you put black people in that circle and you put some white people in that circle and you put some fucking conservatives and liberals, they would all Stanhope shit would all kind of circle that shit, but he has a fucking stranglehold on the socially disenfranchised. Yeah. Yeah. The people that the rest of the world forgot about. Mm-hmm. They're in there too. Yeah. 
and not a lot of people do something that can speak to that to that percentage of the yeah. populace. Yeah. And if you can speak to one specific group, you damn near Pied Piper in it, man. Right. And yeah. that's not his sole fan base. I'm sure. sure I can't speak. I haven't been on the show, so I don't know who the fuck shows up. But I know. A lot of them are dark, weird motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. They are. I've been to the three shows I've been to. Just it's like definitely some people in there who don't fucking go to comedy clubs regularly. Yeah, yeah. They do not. Yeah. They like Doug Stanhope. They mm-hmm. go see him. Yeah. But they're not the regular Frank and Al. Wear your shirt on. Wear your wear your comedy chuckle shirt on Thursdays <laughs> and get in free and your first drinks on us. Right. They're not buying the fucking. 20 pack of tickets to show up to see whoever the fuck that's a fan of comedy and it's yeah. different from being a fan of the artist yeah. Stan Hope has people that are fans of him they're loyal to no end that's why he's been able to do this shit off the grid for fucking 12-13 years minus a couple of major projects I, I couldn't even name all the shit but I know he had the man show with Comedy Central mm-hmm. with Joe Rogan at, but when you look at if I were to IMDB Doug Stanhope and compare it to that of a more traditional mainstream comic, Stanhope would have far fewer credits. Yeah. But I bet you Apples to Oranges, he outsells that other comic that has all those fucking credits. And that is a testament to just marketing, mm-hmm. repetition through the market. I would imagine some level of email listing or sure. some level of fan engagement and retention of those fans. And that's the shit that comedians have to do. Yeah, And that's the shit that... LA doesn't teach you. You don't learn that here. You don't learn that as a comic that's based in LA and you never work the road. You don't learn the importance of marketing because you're not working with no one that's marketing. Everybody you work with is doing 10 minute sets. Yeah. Get out on the fucking road every now and then. Go work for less. Work for more. Work for way less than what you think you're worth. Yes. Take a loss. Sit in a hotel room in Missouri and you fucking figure it out real fast. My first nine years was, I was a Southern and Midwest comic. I didn't move to LA till 07. Okay. So you feature enough for guys, you see them come through and you start seeing what they're doing to sell tickets. You know, there's guys back East, they're making a very comfortable living. You'd never hear of them if I told you their names. Right, yeah. And they're fine. And that's they not uncommon They've been on TV history, since yeah. 1988. But they got a fan base. Yep. And they're good. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, they got a very specific region of the country that they can perform in. Most of them couldn't perform west of Dallas sure. or north of Raleigh-Durham. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't fucking matter. Those concentric circles, man. You find the people who are willing to pay money to see you. And you do everything in your power to get those people to tell more people. And get those people to tell more people, you give them a quality show. Yeah, and That's it. At the end of the day, you just want a fan base. If you're a comic... Because sooner or later, I'm not dumb. L.A. is going to shit me out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. L.A. shits everyone out. Mm-hmm. Minus the, what, five roles that will be available for me after I turn 50. Right. As a fucking ageism, suffering elderly fucking black man in this town. It's not going to be a lot of auditions right. unless I'm knocking it out the park like Forrest Whitaker. Like, sure. Once you're over a certain age in this town, you got to be the star. No, there's no 58-year-old sidekick. Right. Shit don't happen like that. So I'm not fucking dumb. Mm -hmm. So I recognize that. And yeah, I'm out here and I'm shopping projects and I'm writing scripts and I'm doing everything in my power to create more and create something for myself. But at the same time, 
I know comedy ain't going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Comedy is going to be right here. Yeah. As long as people are willing to pay to see me, it don't matter if I get fat, I don't get on drugs. It does not fucking matter. You can do it till you die if there's people who will pay to see you. Mm-hmm. That is a fucking fail-proof I don't want to say retirement plan. No, but, but I know what you're saying, yeah. It's definitely... No one's going to call me tomorrow and say, I got canceled. You can't do comedy anymore. Right. Fucking Bob Hope did it till he died. George Carlin. Mm-hmm. Cosby's knocking on 70 if he's not past it already. Yes, yeah. It's insane. Still doing it. Yeah. It's Only doing it. He, he sits keeps... on a couch now. That's it. He's right. earned the right to fucking sit on a couch while he great. talks. So good. So... You look at those guys, they just found a fucking audience, man. Mm-hmm. People love them, and they keep delivering. That's how bad it is for us. Everybody's angry. They got nothing to be angry at, so they're angry about nothing. Saw a bumper sticker. It said, stupid people shouldn't breed. Is that the solution? Yeah, clap it up, girly. Because you know why? I'm pretty stupid. And I shouldn't breed. My dad is completely stupid. My mother's half a fucking idiot. And I'm tired of this hate being thrown at my people. You want to get rid of the stupid people? Fine. We won't breed. There'll be none of us left. All the fast food will be self-served. But other than that, you'll get by okay. But let me ask you something. Who's next? Where does it end? Assholes, huh? They'll come after them next. Yeah, now we got rid of all the stupid people. I noticed Larry's kind of an asshole. They'll get rid of him. I bet you have a few friends that are assholes. Pretty close to them, too. They're gone. Then the dickheads. Hey, all the heads. Fuck it. Dickheads, shitheads, fuckheads. Put them all in a bus and send them back to Fuckheadville. Then you're going to be happy? Is it going to be utopia now? And they keep changing it. I mean, enough. Just enough. I mean, it, it, it would be awful. I mean, to be stuck in, not that the money wouldn't be great, but to be stuck in that Vegas mode where you, where it's just do the expected shit every night, where you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Bill Cosby doesn't have to. He could tell a new, he probably has a new story for every night, too. You know, he could tell a new mm-hmm. story every night. And I think that's got to, I, I would imagine that's the pull of it, like, to keep you going. Beyond, oh, like, absolutely. hey, you know, I'm making money, sure, but you want to. Absolutely, because you love it. You go mm-hmm. right back, it just reverts back to that. Yeah. You know? And I definitely love this, you know. It's all I have. Is there something about Doug Stanhope's, is there is there one thing that you latched onto? Can you nail it down to this one part, one aspect of his comedy? It's like, oh crap, I'm not doing that, or oh, this is something I've never thought about. Like, Being honest about myself. Yeah, I had a feeling. Being honest about myself. Yeah. Because he'll go on stage, yeah, I, I used a penis pump one time. I got a blowjob from a tranny, or some shit. Like it just be, and it's like it's funny, mm-hmm. but it's still him being honest about who he is. Yeah, and that level of fucking honesty is unprecedented. Like it just, it does. It happens, but not often in comedy, and definitely mm-hmm. not now in the modern day where the cool thing to do is to get off stage and still look cool. Yes. Yes. And still be cool, you know. And I'm starting to believe now, you know, I, I call them get pussy sets, where a lot of comedians go on stage uh-huh. and do a get pussy set. Uh-huh. And, you know, they fucking, they, they're basically doing their best shit to shine and look uh-huh. great. And maybe that works. Maybe your style sure. is get pussy style of comedy. But I just feel like 
if a comedian is truly being honest on stage, then someone should be looking at you weird. Yep. Yep. And another person should come up and fucking shake your hand. Yes, and go, 100%. Thank you for saying or sharing that shit. I started talking about having sleep apnea, mm-hmm. which I was extremely self-conscious about. And it's not like it's cancer or some right. really major shit. But um, I started talking about that on stage and my insecurity about wearing the mask as it relates to explaining to women. Yeah. You get a chick over, you got to put on a fucking mask right. so that you don't die in your sleep. Like, that, for me, was a serious confession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just said it on stage. I'm thinking about it, sharing it. There isn't a show where I do that material where some big, fat neck dude doesn't come to me and go, I understand what you're going through, bro. <laughs> and the wife comes up, oh, my God, you're so right. And I just Love saw it. that mask. And, I, and that's when you're connecting. So good, yeah. That's when I feel like, all right, maybe I am, you know, shifting a gear yeah. to another level, man. And then you're not going to be under any delusions that your whole audience got that bit, but it's got to be very satisfying to know that in each each group you're going to find that person. That's mm-hmm. fucking great. That's so good. I, you know, and that's the thing is like honestly, I'm glad that you had me listen to this album because I'd never listened to it. Really? Uh, yeah, I know it's the thing. Like under, I'm underexposed to comedians from a certain period, honestly, because mm-hmm. at that point I was still trying to find. Oh, the show. album's great, man. Henry Phillips on the acoustics. Oh, I love it. I Henry love Phillips him. is fucking great, man. I'll tell you another album that's good. That I probably should have nominated was um, Tig Notaro Live. Oh, I love her. God, it got grant. It got nominated for a Grammy, mm-hmm. and it's a thirty-minute album that she just did opening for Louis C.K. It wasn't even planned that night. It's insane. She got diagnosed with cancer. Yes, right. The yeah, that's fucking right. day before. That's right. The fucking day before, and the next night she takes that shit on stage. Yeah, and sets it on fire. Basically, right. That's so good. That's just fucking amazing, dude. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Uh, I I always like to ask people if so if no you've already made the argument but if you're going to condense why to listen to this album a if you've never listened to him before if you've never heard the album before what's a good solid reason to just pick this up and listen to it uh, it's group it's good it's good stories and good analysis of society I mean just to, just start with the first track if you don't like the first track you're not going to like Doug Stanhope as a as a comedian period yeah. yeah. Um, where he talks about vice cops and I don't want to blow any of the punchlines but it's a good four or five minutes and it's a deep analysis it's not some 30 second criticism of oh vice cops are stupid and the smoking laws are stupid but within that one bit is three or four different points about the law and the world Mm -hmm. integrated in to reinforce those points are revelations and truths about Doug's self Mm -hmm. So in one joke, you find out how he sees the world and who he is as a person and some of the things that he's done in his past. Very rarely can many comics weave that together. Few that are working right now that do it. Tig Notaro, of course, like I just named, um, Bill Burr. Um, you know, a lot of guys just don't just don't do that. Man. Yeah, That's but so- it's definitely worth the. Nine, seven bucks, whatever the fuck it costs. <laughs> I don't know what they charge these days. I'll make sure and pick some. Cho- I always put clips throughout the show, so I'll pick some good, really good, solid stuff from there. Put that in here. Well, thank you for doing this. First oh, of all, thank you. And um, I always like to make sure people get to plug their stuff. Oh, uh, this, I'm on Sullivan and Son on TBS. We're Tuesdays in the summer, ten nine Central, mm-hmm. and uh, my comedy album, my first one ever. I have a bunch of prank call albums mm-hmm. out, but 
my first stand-up album is called Things I Think I Think. Because I have no confidence in my material. I like it. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's probably a damn good listen. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's it. Yeah. On Twitter, where are you? Uh, at Roy Wood Jr. Easy. Roy Wood Jr. is everything. That's what I figured. Instagramvine.com backslash MySpace, whatever, wherever the fuck you go. That's good. Roy Wood Jr. At Roy Wood Jr. That's good. We're, we're lucky. Well, you've got the junior, so that helps you nail it down. I've just yeah. got a name that nobody else has, so I just like that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, me. it's a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening, and as always, have a good thing. on vinyl is a production of stolen dress entertainment it is produced by mike warden and is hosted and edited by jason klom our theme song was composed and performed by richard levinson please visit stolendress.com to listen to our other podcasts read our blogs read our tweets watch our videos and read our books please subscribe on itunes and if you like us give us a five-star rating and a nice review you can find us on facebook.com slash comedy on vinyl twitter at comedy on vinyl and find everything else at comedy on vinyl.com 